Welcome to Episode 9 of our Chapel Podcast series, Fruit of the Spirit. This week's fruit is gentleness, brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dylan Cadigan. My friends, would you please bow your head with me as I invite you to join me, actually, in praying uh, for our hearts, for our minds to be illuminated, uh, and, and for the Lord to bless this chapel message today. So please pray with me. Almighty God, we give thanks that we can be gathered here in this beautiful part of the world in this time, on this beautiful day, gathered together not just as students and lecturers, not even just as friends, but also as a family in Christ Jesus. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you have in store for us today. Be present, Lord. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The God of the Old Testament is by far the most unpleasant character in all fiction. He is jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindicative, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic racist, a capricious, malevolent bully. That's the God of the Old Testament. At least, that's how Richard Dawkins sees it. You know, this is a problem. Uh, It's a problem not just for Richard and for those who hold to a similar belief, but this is a problem for you and me. It's a problem for the church. Because it says that the God that you and I worship week in and week out is this sort of God. Not Richard Dawkins, obviously, but the illustration that he's giving. It says that as Christians, this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we ask people to follow. Uh, The God that we pray to. The God that we invite people to accept into their hearts. The God that we want to flood the entire earth. But is that the case? No. Then how do we respond? In fact, how do you respond when you encounter people who hold to a similar belief? Uh, And how do you respond when people say, this is not only how I understand God, but I actually have some biblical scriptures to back that up? How do you respond? Is the God of the Bible a gentle God, a gentle giant, or a giant bully? I think that part of the problem with what I would certainly say is a misconstrued uh, interpretation of God, not least the God of the Old Testament, is that it's typically a shallow or narrow interpretation of the biblical text. It avoids the bigger picture. It takes a couple controversial passages, puts them all together and says, there we go, that's my position. While there may be some shocking passages in the Old Testament, there are also accounts where God is portrayed as gentle, uh, where the characteristic or the virtue of gentleness is the core theme, what's the core value attributed to to God. We see this in many examples, but just to give you some, uh, in 2 Samuel, after being saved from his enemies, King David declares publicly that it's the Lord's gentleness, if anything else, the Lord's gentleness that made me great. The prophet Isaiah writes that when the God, the redeeming God comes, that he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather lambs in his arms. He will carry them close to his chest and gently lead those that are with young. In Numbers 12, 3, 
the author states that Moses was the most gentle person on the face of the earth. And even though the focus is on Moses here, this actually tells us a lot about who God is and how he functions. Because it says that the God, or I should say, it says that the person that God picked to save the world and to redeem it, to transform the world, was not a bloodthirsty warrior, but actually the most gentle person on the face of the planet. God values gentleness. He uses gentleness because he himself is gentle. I think the other point to to keep in mind when you're faced with this caricature of God like that given by Richard Dawkins is that quite often while the biblical authors may paint uh, the God of the Bible in various lights throughout the biblical canon, throughout the covenant history of Israel, the biblical authors paint God in various lights but they themselves still do not have the whole picture. It's like the biblical authors are themselves so inspired are trying to comprehend and articulate who God is and what he is doing, primarily through the books of Moses, through the history of Israel, and through their own contemporary circumstances. The biblical authors are inspired, but they don't have the whole picture, at least not yet. Rather, they are like angled signposts that are pointing into a fog, a fog that clouds the divine. Each prophet has insights and understands the truth of God, uh, whether that be relating to his divine nature, the Messiah, wisdom, death and the afterlife, judgment and salvation. The prophets have inspired insights and come at it from different angles, but they still don't have their whole picture. And so unlike Dawkins, we have to be cautious. We cannot form our understanding of God simply from a few controversial passages here and there. We cannot take half-truths try to make them into the whole truth, and then wonder why we've ended up with a complexing untruth. We need the bigger picture. The biblical authors, again, are inspired. They're signposts pointing into a fog. But we give thanks to God, because it's out of that fog that the Jesus of the Gospels appeared 2,000 years ago. What the New Testament authors are trying to do, uh, the New Testament Gospel authors, Uh, particularly, they're trying to challenge our understanding of God in and through the person and story of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John want the reader to loosen their grip, even just a little bit, uh, on everything they thought they knew about God and to reevaluate their understanding in and through the person and story of Jesus Christ. If one is to know what the hidden Father of Heaven looks like or acts like, than they are to listen to the Son who came down from heaven to earth. Indeed, the prophetic signposts, even on either side of the Gospels, have many valuable truths, but the one who has seen and knows the Son is the one who has seen and knows the Father. If you want to know what God is like, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, then you're meant to look at the God in the biblical text primarily through the lens of Jesus Christ. It's with these gospel spectacles on that we can see that God is actually not a bullying tyrant. He's not a giant bully, uh, a giant bully who created the 2020 bushfires or sent COVID-19 in order to punish some, some people. No, through Jesus Christ, the clearest image of the invisible God, 
we see that God is gentle, that he's meek, that he's humble. God is the faithful servant who blesses the gentle, welcomes the unwelcomes, spends time with the mourning, heals the dying, gently responds to the oppressors and saves the captives. He comforts the fearful, loves the unlovable, forgives the wicked, and at all times he does so with open arms. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God, the gentle God that Christians profess and follow. And it is his spirit, actually, that dwells within us, lives with us here and now, producing the fruits of the spirit. Over this semester at college here, we've been going through the series on the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and next week, self-control. And again and again, what we've been hearing is that these fruits are meant to be the tangible results of living as the spirit-filled people. Since the faithful are like trees rooted in the spirit, the life-giving spirit, through prayer, through worship, through the Eucharist, through the scriptures, through service to others, we're meant to witness the fruits of the spirit being born in us as we are rooted in that spirit. We're to live off the nourishing fruits and then we're to share those fruits with those around us that they also might taste and enjoy life. This week, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we are looking at is gentleness. And the word that Paul uses here is proutes, uh, which basically means not being impressed with your own importance, uh, but lifting up others. Uh, and so quite often it's translated as meekness, courtesy, humility, gentleness. And like the other fruits of the Spirit, what Paul wants to do or what he expects to see in the faithful community is God himself pouring out of the people. If the God of meekness, courtesy, humility and gentleness, if the God of the Spirit that lives within us is actually living within you, then gentleness should be pouring out of you into your homes, into your workplaces, into your churches. On top of that, if the Lord uses gentleness to defeat evil, we think of the example of Moses before, then so should his people nowadays also be using gentleness as a power when standing up to evil and injustices. We heard in our readings this morning, and thank you, Holly, for doing such a great job. We heard in our readings that divine gentleness turns away wrath. It's sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. That even in the midst of oppression and exclusion, the faithful are not to repay evil with evil or abuse with abuse. On the contrary, they're meant to bless. They're meant to repay people with unity, familial love, compassion, humility. A gentle word, a soft touch, a patient ear, a calm presence, a tender heart. This is what godly gentleness looks like. This is what should be growing in you and in me. And this is what the community around us should be tasting. But it's at this point that we ask that difficult question, is that the case? You know, being gentle all day, every day, especially in this stressful world uh, where we're busy, is not always easy. Personally, I find it difficult to be meek 
and courteous to those who actually throw the opposite back in your face. Uh, it's very hard. Or I find at times where there's a real problem going on. I usually start with gentleness and then quickly pass by to get to some real solution, some real practical solution. I undervalue the power, the transformative power that gentleness really has to offer. I fail to see that. And maybe you can relate. I want you to think of your own stories. When is the last time that you received a gentle word, a soft touch, a patient ear, a calm presence, a tender heart? And how did that gentleness make you feel? Did it change the circumstance? Did it change the mood? Recently, I was assisting uh, in an aged care facility up, up in North Lakes. And in the room was myself, uh, the priest next to me, the priest's wife on keyboard. There was an aged care worker right at the back um, supporting some woman. And then there's about 10 residents around the room, so you can picture it. Now, while everybody was singing, praying, and really enjoying themselves in this time of worship, there was one elderly woman right at the back that just did not look happy to be there. She had this stern look from beginning to end. And I thought, oh, did I wear, wear the wrong color? Uh, did I say something silly? Maybe it's the neck tattoo. I'd be really careful. <laughs> just this stern look. And actually, I learned at the end of the service there was no problem at all. She actually enjoyed herself. She just has a resting face much like myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but something that really stood out to me throughout this whole service was the gentleness of this one aged care worker right at the back named Leah. From start to finish, Leah was there for this elderly woman who needed support. And she was there just gently stroking her hand or offering kind words into her ear. Just a gentle spirit. I, I found out at the end of the service that Leah is not a confessing Christian. And I know that she wasn't being gentle just because it's part of her job. There was this genuine, divine-like gentleness pouring out of this woman that not only supported the elderly woman in need, but it moved me and everybody else in the room to go away from there and try and be more gentle uh, to those around me. Her gentleness was contagious. It's like encouraging, but it's also a challenge, you know, to move and go and do more. And I think that's part of, that's what we're to get, I think, from the fruit of gentleness. That on the one hand, it's to be encouragement, but on the other, it's meant to serve as a challenge. The fruit of gentleness, like the other fruits, are to be an encouragement because we see that the God in Jesus Christ, the Lord that we worship, profess and follow, the Spirit who produces the fruit, is the gentle God. It's unfortunate that others like Dawkins fail to recognize that while there are some shocking illustrations or perhaps interpretations of some uh, controversial texts, they fail to realize that these are meant to be reevaluated through the lens and the person and story of Jesus Christ. Again, too many times people have taken half-truth, they try to make them the whole truth, and they end up with an untruth. And you are going to encounter people with similar views to Dawkins in your journey and your experiences. You are going to face difficult questions. But my advice is to keep Jesus at the center of your thoughts, of your troubles, of your questions. Keep him at the center of all you do. And know that when the God of the Old Testament came through that fog 2,000 years ago, when the God of the Old Testament came to reveal himself, to save and to judge, 
what appeared was a lowly, gentle person, speaking, healing, caring, and laying down his life for others. This is the God of the Bible that we worship, not some bloodthirsty, angry caricature, but a gentle God who once walked this earth and now lives within the faithful community, producing the fruits of the Spirit and transforming the world. So be encouraged, but be challenged. To be followers of Jesus is to be in communion with this God and to witness the fruit of gentleness pouring out of us. You won't always get it right. I know I don't, certainly. You won't always get it right, but that's okay. Don't be defeated. Make gentleness. Make the fruits of the Spirit the goal. Don't leave here today as the same person that entered this building, but leave here transformed uh, with a new appreciation for divine gentleness, taking that out into the world, sharing with others that they also might be transformed. The next time that your children or perhaps your pets or something's chaotic and destructive and not listening and misbehaving and whatever, don't spank them, don't throw them into the naughty corner, but give them a patient ear and a tender heart. The next time a stranger or a work colleague is rude to you, maybe they send you a candid email, show them divine courtesy. The next time a friend, a family member, or maybe even your partner is short with you, repay them with divine courtesy. The next time you are hard on yourself, be soft. Do not repay evil with evil or abuse with abuse, but bless that this is why you were called. Worship the gentle God, produce his fruit of gentleness, so that you, I, and the world around us might become more like the gentle God that we worship. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.